Welcome to Rebecca Reads. I apologize for the long space between these last two episodes. Sometimes life gets in our way of doing the things we really want to do. But I am back now, and our story for today is part two of King Midas. There are so many different versions of this story. In another version, Midas saves Selenus, a companion to Dionysus, the god of wine, and his reward is a wish, which he uses to gain the golden touch. It is always so much fun to see how stories change through the years, and how later authors, like Nathaniel Hawthorne, pick them up and tell them just a little differently. I would encourage you to find another version of this story. Read it, and see what is the same or different from the version I am telling you. Why do you think Nathaniel Hawthorne changed or added what he did? Don't forget to stay after the story for this week's poem. We left the story when King Midas gained the power of the Golden Touch and touched all the roses in his garden. He is now headed inside for breakfast, and now for the second part of King Midas. What was usually a king's breakfast in the days of Midas I really do not know and cannot stop now to investigate. To the best of my belief, however, on this particular morning, the breakfast consisted of hot cakes, some nice little brook trout, roasted potatoes, fresh-boiled eggs, and coffee from King Midas himself, and a bowl of bread and milk for his daughter Marigold. At all events, this is a breakfast fit to set before a king, and whether he had it or not, King Midas could not have had a better. Little Marigold had not yet made her appearance. Her father ordered her to be called, and, seating himself at table, awaited the child's coming in order to begin his own breakfast. To do Midas justice, he really loved his daughter, and loved her so much the more this morning, on account of the good fortune which had befallen him. It was not a great while before he heard her coming along the passageway, crying bitterly. This circumstance surprised him, because Marigold was one of the cheerfulest little people whom you would see in a summer's day, and hardly shed a thimbleful of tears in a twelve-month. When Midas heard her sobs, he determined to put little Marigold into better spirits by an agreeable surprise, so, leaning across the table, he touched his daughter's bowl, which was a china one with pretty figures all around it, and transmuted it to gleaming gold. Meanwhile, Marigold slowly and disconsolately opened the door and showed herself with her apron at her eyes, still sobbing as if her heart would break. "'Oh, now, my little lady,' cried Midas, "'pray, what's the matter with you this bright morning?' Marigold, without taking the apron from her eyes, held out her hand, and which was one of the roses which Midas had so recently transmuted. "'Beautiful!' exclaimed her father. "'And what is there in this magnificent golden rose to make you cry?' "'Ah, oh, dear father!' answered the child, as well as her sobs would let her. It is not beautiful, but the ugliest flower that ever grew. As soon as I was dressed, I ran into the garden to gather some roses for you, because I know you like them, and like them the better when gathered by your little daughter. But, oh, dear, dear me, what do you think has happened? Such a misfortune. All the beautiful roses that smelled so sweetly and had so many lovely blushes are blighted and spoiled. They are grown quite yellow, as you see this one, and have no longer any fragrance. What can have been the matter with them? Pooh, my dear girl, pray don't cry about it, said Midas, who was ashamed to confess that he himself had wrought the change which so greatly afflicted her. 
Sit down and eat your bread and milk. You will find it easy enough to exchange a golden rose like that, which will last hundreds of years, for an ordinary one which would wither in a day. I don't care for such roses as this, cried Marigold, tossing it contemptuously away. It has no smell, and the hard petals prick my nose. The child now sat down to table, but was so occupied with her grief for the blighted roses that she did not even notice the wonderful transmutation of her china bowl. Perhaps this was all the better, for Marigold was accustomed to take pleasure in looking at the queer figures and strange trees and houses that were painted on the circumference of the bowl, and these ornaments were now entirely lost in the yellow hue of the metal. Midas, meanwhile, had poured out a cup of coffee, and, as a matter of course, the coffee pot, whatever metal it may have been when he took it up, was gold when he set it down. He thought to himself that it was rather an extravagant style of splendor, in a king of his simple habits, to breakfast off a service of gold, and began to be puzzled with the difficulty of keeping his treasures safe. The cupboard in the kitchen would no longer be a secure place of deposit for articles so valuable as golden bowls and coffee pots. Amid these thoughts, he lifted a spoonful of coffee to his lips and, sipping it, was astonished to perceive that, the instant his lips touched the liquid, it became molten gold and, the next moment, hardened into a lump. Ha! Huh! exclaimed Midas, rather aghast. "'What is the matter, father?' asked little Marigold, gazing at him with the tears still standing in her eyes. "'Nothing, child, nothing,' said Midas. "'Eat your milk before it gets quite cold.' He took one of the nice little trouts on his plate and, by way of experiment, touched its tail with his finger. To his horror, it was immediately transmuted from an admirably fried brook trout into a gold fish— though not one of those goldfishes which people often keep in glass globes as ornaments for the parlor. No, it was really a metallic fish, and looked as if it had been very cunningly made by the nicest goldsmith in the world. Its little bones were now golden wires, its fins and tail were thin plates of gold, and there were the marks of the fork in it, and all the delicate, frothy appearance of a nicely fried fish, exactly imitated in metal. A very pretty piece of work, as you may suppose, only King Midas, just at that moment, would much rather have had a real trout in his dish than this elaborate and valuable imitation of one. I don't quite see, thought he to himself, how I am to get any breakfast. He took one of the smoking hot cakes and had scarcely broken it, when, to his cruel mortification, though a moment before it had been of the whitest wheat, it assumed the yellow hue of Indian meal. To say the truth, if it had really been a hot Indian cake, Midas would have prized it a good deal more than he now did, when its solidity and increased weight made him too bitterly sensible that it was gold. Almost in despair, he helped himself to a boiled egg, which immediately underwent a change similar to those of the trout and the cake. The egg, indeed, might have been mistaken for one of those which the famous goose in the storybook was in the habit of laying, but King Midas was the only goose that had anything to do with the matter. Well, this is a quandary, thought he, leaning back in his chair and looking quite enviously at little Marigold, who was now eating her bread and milk with great satisfaction. Such a costly breakfast before me, and nothing that can be eaten. 
hoping that by dint of great dispatch, he might avoid what he now felt to be considerable inconvenience. King Midas next snatched a hot potato and attempted to cram it into his mouth and swallow it in a hurry. But the golden touch was too nimble for him. He found his mouth full, not of mealy potato, but of solid metal, which so burnt his tongue that he roared aloud and, jumping up from the table, began to dance and stamp about the room, both with pain and affright. "'Father, dear father!' cried little Marigold, who was a very affectionate child. "'Pray, what is the matter? Have you burnt your mouth?' Ah, dear child,' groaned Midas dolefully, "'I don't know what is to become of your poor father.' And truly, my dear little folks, did you ever hear of such a pitiable case in all your lives? Here was literally the richest breakfast that could be set before a king, and its very richness made it absolutely good for nothing. The poorest laborer, sitting down to his crust of bread and cup of water, was far better off than King Midas, whose delicate food was really worth its weight in gold. And what was to be done? Already at breakfast, Midas was excessively hungry. Would he be less so by dinner time? And how ravenous would be his appetite for supper, which must undoubtedly consist of the same sort of indigestible dishes as those now before him? How many days, think you, would he survive a continuance of this rich fare? These reflections so troubled wise King Midas that he began to doubt whether, after all, riches are the one desirable thing in the world, or even the most desirable. But this was only a passing thought. So fascinated was Midas with the glitter of the yellow metal that he would still have refused to give up the golden touch for so paltry a consideration as a breakfast. Just imagine what a price for one meal's victuals. It would have been the same as paying millions and millions of money, and as many millions more would take forever to reckon up, for some fried trout, an egg, a potato, a hot cake, and a cup of coffee. It would be quite too dear, thought Midas. Nevertheless, so great was his hunger and the perplexity of his situation that he again groaned aloud, and very grievously too. Our pretty Marigold could endure it no longer. She sat a moment, gazing at her father, and trying with all the might of her little wits to find out what was the matter with him. Then, with a sweet and sorrowful impulse to comfort him, she started from her chair, and running to Midas, threw her arms affectionately about his knees. He bent down and kissed her. He felt that his daughter's love was worth a thousand times more than he had gained by the golden touch. My precious, precious Marigold, cried he. But Marigold made no answer. Alas, what had he done? How fatal was the gift which the stranger bestowed. The moment the lips of Midas touched Marigold's forehead, a change had taken place. Her sweet, rosy face, so full of affection as it had been, assumed a glittering yellow color with yellow teardrops congealing on her cheeks. Her beautiful brown ringlets took the same tint. Her soft and tender little form grew hard and inflexible within her father's encircling arms. Oh, terrible misfortune! The victim of his insatiable desire for wealth, little Marigold was a human child no longer, but a golden statue. Yes, there she was, with the questioning look of love, grief, and pity hardened into her face. It was the prettiest and most woeful sight that ever mortal saw. 
All the features and tokens of Marigold were there. Even the beloved little dimple remained in her golden chin. But the more perfect was the resemblance, the greater was the father's agony at beholding this golden image, which was all that was left him of a daughter. It had been a favorite phrase of Midas, whenever he felt particularly fond of the child, to say that she was worth her weight in gold. And now the phrase had become literally true. And now at last, when it was too late, he felt how infinitely a warm and tender heart that loved him exceeded in value all the wealth that could be piled up betwixt the earth and sky. It would be too sad a story if I were to tell you how Midas, in the fullness of all his gratified desires, began to wring his hands and bemoan himself, and how he could neither bear to look at Marigold, nor yet to look away from her. Except when his eyes were fixed on the image, he could not possibly believe that she was changed to gold. But, stealing another glance, there was the precious little figure, with a yellow teardrop on its yellow cheek, and a look so piteous and tender that it seemed as if that very expression must needs soften the gold and make it flesh again. This, however, could not be. So Midas had only to wring his hands, and to wish that he were the poorest man in the wide world, if the loss of all his wealth might bring back the faintest rose color to his dear child's face. While he was in this tumult of despair, he suddenly beheld a stranger standing near the door. Midas bent down his head without speaking, for he recognized the same figure which had appeared to him the day before in the treasure room, and had bestowed on him this disastrous faculty of the golden touch. The stranger's countenance still wore a smile, which seemed to shed a yellow luster all about the room, and gleamed on little Marigold's image and on the other objects that had been transmuted by the touch of Midas. "'Well, friend Midas,' said the stranger, "'pray, how do you succeed with the golden touch?' Midas shook his head. "'I am very miserable,' said he. "'Very miserable indeed,' exclaimed the stranger. "'And how happens that? "'Have I not faithfully kept my promise with you? "'Have you not everything that your heart desired?' "'Gold is not everything,' answered Midas, "'and I have lost all that my heart really cared for.' "'Ah, so you have made a discovery since yesterday,' "'observed the stranger. "'Let us see, then. "'Which of these two things do you think is really worth the most? "'The gift of the golden touch?' or one cup of clear, cold water. Oh, blessed water, exclaimed Midas. It will never moisten my parched throat again. The golden touch, continued the stranger, or a crust of bread. A piece of bread, answered Midas, is worth all the gold on earth. The golden touch, asked the stranger, or your own little marigold, warm, soft, and loving, as she was an hour ago. "'Oh, my child, my dear child!' cried poor Midas, wringing his hands. "'I would not have given that one small dimple in her chin "'for the power of changing this whole big earth into a solid lump of gold.' "'You are wiser than you were, King Midas,' said the stranger, looking seriously at him. "'Your own heart, I perceive, has not been entirely changed from flesh to gold. "'Were it so, your case would indeed be desperate.' But you appear to be still capable of understanding that the commonest things, such as lie within everybody's grasp, are more valuable than the riches which so many mortals sigh and struggle after. 
Tell me now, do you sincerely desire to rid yourself of this golden touch? It is hateful to me, replied Midas. A fly settled on his nose, but immediately fell to the floor, for it too had become gold. Midas shuddered. Go then, said the stranger, and plunge into the river that glides past the bottom of your garden. Take likewise a vase of the same water, and sprinkle it over any object that you may desire to change back again from gold into its former substance. If you do this in earnestness and sincerity, it may possibly repair the mischief which your avarice has occasioned. King Midas bowed low, and when he lifted his head, the lustrous stranger had vanished. You will easily believe that Midas lost no time in snatching up the great earthen pitcher, but alas me, it was no longer earthen after he touched it. And hastening to the riverside, as he scampered along, he forced his way through the shrubbery. It was positively marvelous to see how the foliage turned yellow behind him, as if the autumn had been there and nowhere else. On reaching the river's brink, he plunged headlong in, without waiting so much as to pull off his shoes. Poof, 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 snorted King Midas as his head emerged out of the water. Well, this is really a refreshing bath, and I think I must have quite washed away the golden touch. And now for filling my pitcher. As he dipped the pitcher into the water, it gladdened his very heart to see it change from gold into the same good, honest earthen vessel which it had been before he touched it. He was conscious also of a change within himself. A cold, hard, and heavy weight seemed to have gone out of his bosom. No doubt, his heart had been gradually losing its human substance and transmuting itself into insensible metal, but had now softened back again into flesh. Perceiving a violet that grew on the bank of the river, Midas touched it with his finger and was overjoyed to find that the delicate flower retained its purple hue instead of undergoing a yellow blight. The curse of the golden touch had, therefore, really been removed from him. King Midas hastened back to the palace. And, I suppose, the servants knew not what to make of it when they saw their royal master so carefully bringing home an earthen pitcher of water. But that water, which was to undo all the mischief that his folly had wrought, was more precious to Midas than an ocean of molten gold could have been. The first thing he did, as you need hardly be told, was to sprinkle it by handfuls over the golden figure of little Marigold. No sooner did it fall on her than you would have laughed to see how the rosy color came back to the dear child's cheek, and how she began to sneeze and sputter, and how astonished she was to find herself dripping wet and her father still throwing more water over her. "'Pray do not, dear father,' cried she. "'See how you have wet my nice frock, which I put on only this morning.' For Marigold did not know that she had been a little golden statue." Nor could she remember anything that had happened since the moment when she ran with outstretched arms to comfort poor King Midas. Her father did not think it necessary to tell his beloved child how very foolish he had been, but contented himself with showing how much wiser he had now grown. For this purpose, he led little Marigold into the garden, where he sprinkled all the remainder of the water over the rose bushes, and with such good effect that above five thousand roses recovered their beautiful bloom. There were two circumstances, however, which, as long as he lived, used to put King Midas in mind of the golden touch. One was that the sands of the river sparkled like gold. The other, that little Marigold's hair now had a golden tinge, which he had never observed in it before she had been transmuted by the effect of his kiss. 
This change of hue was really an improvement and made Marigold's hair richer than in her babyhood. When King Midas had grown quite an old man and used to trot Marigold's children on his knee, he was fond of telling them this marvelous story, pretty much as I have now told it to you. And then would he stroke their glossy ringlets and tell them that their hair, likewise, had a rich shade of gold, which they had inherited from their mother. And to tell you the truth, my precious little folks, quoth King Midas, diligently trotting the children all the while, ever since that morning I have hated the very sight of all other gold save this. Thank you for listening to the second part of King Midas. What was the real reason King Midas wanted to get rid of the Golden Touch? A lot of myths and stories were told to teach people morals and lessons that could make you happy in life. Do you think this story teaches a lesson? If so, what is that lesson? Today's poem is Escape at Bedtime by Robert Louis Stevenson. It reads, The lights from the parlor and the kitchen shone out through the blinds and the windows and bars, and high overhead and all moving about were thousands of millions of stars. There ne'er were such thousands of leaves on a tree, nor of people in church or the park, as the crowds of the stars looked down upon me, and that glittered and winked in the dark. The dog, and the plow, and the hunter, and all, and the star of the sailor, and Mars, these shone in the sky, and the pail by the wall would be half full of water and stars. They saw me at last, and they chased me with cries, and they soon had me packed into bed, but the glory kept shining and bright in my eyes and the stars going round in my head. And that is another episode of Rebecca Reads. I will be publishing new stories every Wednesday, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Make sure you keep reading, and I'll see you next week for another episode of Rebecca Reads.